Welcome to episode 255 of the Truth Quest podcast, the truth about government censorship, Missouri v. Biden. Before we get started, I want to invite you to check out the Truth Quest merchandise website at truthquestshirtfactory.com, where we are designing shirts inspired by various podcast episodes. With each shirt design, there will be an explanation of what to expect from those inquisitive or brave enough to ask you about it. In most cases, there are links to podcast episodes that will further deepen your understanding of the importance of each phrase on the shirts. I hope you will take the challenge of wearing these shirts in public and to family gatherings. Don't worry, we will equip you with the rhetorical tools to engage in the conversation or debate that is sure to ensue. And most importantly, thank you for supporting the podcast with your purchase. This is the story of dystopia, brazen, in-your-face violations of the First Amendment. Plaintiffs filed a motion for preliminary injunction in this Biden v. Missouri case. Among others, plaintiffs consist of the state of Missouri, the state of Louisiana, Jim Hoft, who runs the gatewaypundit.com, Dr. Jayantas Futachara, and Dr. Martin Koldorf. Both are infectious disease experts and co-authors of the Great Barrington Declaration that was heavily censored. There are over 50 defendants in this case, including President Biden, Karine Jean-Pierre, the Surgeon General of the United States, the Department of Health and Human Services, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, the CDC, Alejandro Mayorkas and his department, the Department of Homeland Security, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, the United States Census Bureau, the Department of Commerce, the Department of Justice, the FBI, Elvis Chan, who is the FBI guy behind all the censorship, the FDA, the State Department, the U.S. Department of Treasury, and the U.S. Election Assistance Commission. U.S. District Court Judge Terry Dordery issued a sweeping preliminary injunction barring these federal officials and agencies, all 50-plus of them, from having any contact with social media firms for the purpose of discouraging or removing First Amendment-protected speech. I'm going to read extensively from Judge Dordery's opinion because it's so comprehensive and so shocking. Along the way, I'll add some color commentary and point out teachable moments. So here's the backstory. This case is about the free speech clause of the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. The present case arguably involves the most massive attack against free speech in United States history. In their attempts to suppress alleged disinformation, the federal government, and particularly the defendants named, are alleged to have blatantly ignored the First Amendment's right to free speech. Although the censorship alleged in this case almost exclusively targeted conservative speech, their issues raised herein go beyond party lines. The right to free speech is not a member of any political party and does not hold any political ideology. It is the purpose of the free speech clause of the First Amendment to preserve an uninhibited marketplace of ideas in which truth will ultimately prevail, whether it be by government itself or by private license. I would add that the purpose of the free speech clause of the First Amendment is to document the protection of a God-given natural right to speak freely. The founders feared the newly created federal government would overstep its bounds, so they documented certain protections, including the First Amendment. He goes on, 
Plaintiffs allege that defendants, through public pressure campaigns, private meetings, and other forms of direct communication regarding what defendants described as disinformation, misinformation, and malinformation, have colluded with and or coerced social media platforms to suppress disfavored speakers' viewpoints and content on social media platforms. Plaintiffs also allege that the suppression constitutes government action and that it is a violation of plaintiffs' freedom of speech under the First Amendment of the Constitution. He goes on, The question does not concern whether speech is conservative, moderate, liberal, progressive, or somewhere in between. What matters is that Americans, despite their views, will not be censored or suppressed by the government. Other than well-known exceptions to the free speech clause, all political views and content are protected free speech. And so here is kind of a summary of the plaintiff's arguments. In this case, plaintiffs allege that defendants suppress conservative-leaning free speech, such as suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop story prior to the 2020 presidential election, suppressing speech about lab leak theory of COVID-19's origin, suppressing speech about the efficiencies of masks and the COVID-19 lockdowns, suppressing speech about the efficiency of COVID-19 vaccines, suppressing speech about election integrity in the 2020 presidential election, suppressing speech about the security of voting by mail, suppressing parody content about defendants, suppressing negative posts about the economy, and suppressing negative posts about President Biden. When put in a succinct paragraph like that, it reminds me of the type of shit that went on in the USSR or East Germany or North Korea today. As Judge Dordery notes in his conclusion, this is Orwellian Ministry of Truth shit. He goes on, Plaintiffs assert that since 2018, federal officials, including defendants, have made public statements and demands to social media platforms in an effort to induce them to censor disfavored speech and speakers. Beyond that, plaintiffs argue that defendants have threatened adverse consequences to social media companies, such as reform of Section 230 immunity under the Communications Decency Act, antitrust scrutiny and enforcement, increased regulations, and other measures if those companies refuse to increase censorship. Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act shields social media companies from liability for actions taken on their websites, and plaintiffs argue that the threat of repealing Section 230 motivates the social media companies to comply with defendants' censorship requests. The judge then goes on to summarize each of the plaintiffs' claims against the numerous defendants. This is followed by the five counts against the defendants. Count 1, violation of the First Amendment against all defendants. Count 2, action in excess of statutory authority against all defendants. And then there's three counts of violations of the Administrative Procedure Act against a dozen or more defendants. So this is followed by dozens of pages documenting the evidence against the various defendants. It's mostly comprised of explicit back and forth between the various defendants and the numerous social media sites, much like what we've seen in the Twitter files. What is presented here is nothing new to anyone who's a regular listener of this podcast. If you have listened to the three episodes I have on the Twitter files, episode 228, 234, 250, way back in episode 126, I did the truth about big tech censorship. And then right after that, I did episode 132, the truth about the great social media purge of 2021. And just recently, I produced episode 222, the truth about the recension of the First Amendment. The evidence presented by the judge includes subheadings like White House defendants. That took up 30 pages. CDC defendants. That encompassed 11 pages. 
then nine pages dedicated to the NIAID defendant. That was broken down into lab leak theory, hydroxychloroquine, the Great Barrington Declaration, mask mandates, Alex Berenson, who I believe successfully sued Twitter last year for censorship, and the final subsection was ivermectin, which is the subject of episode 214, if you are interested in that. Then he covers the FBI defendants in nine pages, cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency defendants, that's nine more pages, eight pages on the State Department defendants, which was broken down into Global Engagement Center, Election Integrity Project, and the Virality Project. And of course, all the social media platforms are repeatedly referenced. Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Google, YouTube, Yahoo, Verizon, Microsoft, Wikipedia, Reddit, Instagram, TikTok, Nextdoor, Discord, Pinterest, and others. Here's a sample of the judge's writings about three of the defendants. We'll start with the FBI. The FBI would notify the social media platforms by sending an email with a secure transfer application within the FBI called Teleporter. So again, this is nothing new. This teleporter thing was described in the Twitter files. Back to the judge. The teleporter email contains a link for them to securely download the files from the FBI. The emails would contain different types of indicators, including specific social media accounts, websites, URLs, email accounts, and the like that the FBI wanted the platforms to evaluate under their content moderation policies. Most of the time, the emails flagging the disinformation would go to seven social media platforms. Here's a sample of his analysis of the CISA, which is a Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Holy crap, the names they come up with. Anyways, this, this is part of the Department of Homeland Security, and of course, Alejandro Mayorkas, the evil one, is named here. The judge writes, The deposition of Brian Scully, the chief of CISA's Miss Dis and MAL information team, MDM, was taken on January 12, 2023, as part of the injunction-related discovery in this matter. And he makes a point here. He says, the CISA regularly meets with social media platforms in several types of standing meetings. I I'm sorry, but I can't help myself. You know, I fully understand that when you spend other people's money on other people, we get waste, fraud, and abuse. But to have a miss, dis, and mal information team is beyond the pale. Those are made up words. And the federal government pays people salaries and benefits to work in it. If Congress really gave a shit, they would defund monstrosities like this today. The judge goes on. The MDM team continues to communicate regularly with social media platforms in two different ways. The first way is called industry meetings. The industry meetings are regular sync meetings between government and industry, including social media platforms. The second type of communication involves the MDM team reviewing regular reports from social media platforms about changes to their censorship policies or to their enforcement actions on censorship. The industry meetings began in 2018 and continue to this day. Government participants in the industry meetings include CISA, the Department of Justice, the Office of Director of National Intelligence, and the Department of Homeland Security. Here's a brief reading from the judge's findings of the State Department defendants. The first section is the Global Engagement Center, GEC. The GEC's front office and senior leadership meets with social media platforms every few months, sometimes quarterly. The meetings focus on the tools and techniques of stopping the spread of disinformation on social media, but they rarely discuss specific content that is posted. Additionally, GEC has a technology engagement team that also meets with social media companies 
that technology engagement team meets more frequently than the GEC. Then he talks about the Election Integrity Project, EIP, which is partially funded by the United States National Science Foundation through grants. The EIP's focus was on understanding misinformation and disinformation in the social media landscapes, and it successfully pushed social media platforms to adopt more restrictive policies about election-related speech in 2020. The government agencies that work with and submit alleged disinformation to the EIP are the CISA, the State Department Global Engagement Center, and the Elections Infrastructure Information Sharing and Analysis Center. You can't make this shit up, guys. This is just it, the alphabet soup that the federal government employs is just mind-boggling. He goes on, social media platforms that participated in the EIP were Facebook, Instagram, Google, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, Reddit, Nextdoor, Discord, and Pinterest. The GEC was engaging with the EIP and submitted tickets. The tickets and URLs encompassed millions of social media posts with almost 22 million posts on Twitter alone. The EIP sometimes treats as misinformation truthful reports that the EIP believes lack broader context. That's where they came up with the word malinformation, guys. And the final piece from the State Department defendants is the Virality Project, which targeted domestic speakers' alleged disinformation relating to the COVID-19 vaccines. The judge writes, according to the Virality Project, quote, Vaccine mis- and disinformation was largely driven by a cast of recurring actors, including longstanding anti-vaccine influencers and activists, wellness and lifestyle influence, pseudo-medical influencers, conspiracy theory influencers, right-leaning political influencers, and medical freedom influencers. The Virality Project flagged the following people and or organizations as spreader of misinformation. One America News, Breitbart News, Alex Berenson, Tucker Carlson, Fox News, Candace Owens, The Daily Wire, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., America's Frontline Doctors, Dr. Joyce McCullough. All the people telling the truth and asking questions about the often toxic, sometimes deadly, untested, so-called COVID vaccine. These people and media outlets were telling the truth. And even if they were lying, it's free speech. Lies are free speech. Miss, dis, and malinformation are free speech. This is not hard. The judge's opinion then moves into law and analysis, starting with the standards for a preliminary injunction, which include the substantial likelihood of success on the merits. Number two, plaintiffs are likely to suffer irreparable harm in the absence of the injunction. Finally, that an injunction is in the public interest. That's what the plaintiffs had to prove. He goes on. Plaintiffs assert that they are likely to succeed on the merits of their First Amendment claims because defendants have significantly encouraged and or coerced social media companies into removing protected speech from social media platforms. Plaintiffs also argue that failure to grant a preliminary injunction will result in irreparable harm because the alleged First Amendment violations are continuing and or there is a substantial risk that future harm is likely to occur. Further, plaintiffs maintain that the public interests weigh in favor of protecting their First Amendment rights to freedom of speech. The judge then states that the plaintiffs are likely to succeed on the merits of their First Amendment claims against the White House, Surgeon General, FBI, NIAID, CISA, and the State Department. The judge then explains that the Free Speech Clause prohibits only government abridgment of speech. It does not prohibit private abridgment of speech. 
He explains, at the heart of the First Amendment lies the principle that each person should decide for himself or herself the ideas and beliefs deserving of expression, consideration, and adherence. Government action aimed at the suppression of particular views on a subject that discriminates on the basis of viewpoint is presumptively unconstitutional. The First Amendment guards against government action targeted at specific subject matter, a form of speech suppression known as content-based discrimination. The private party social media platforms are not defendants in this suit. So the issue here is not whether the social media platforms are government actors, but whether the government can, can be held responsible for the private platform's decisions. Makes sense, right? Most people agree that if Facebook and Twitter and the rest of them want to censor, then go right ahead. Let the market sort it out, i.e. Rumble, True Social, Getter, Gab, BitChute. They, they all exist because of misbehavior by big tech. The judge continues with an analysis of the coercion from the government on the social media platforms that push them to censor. He says, to determine whether plaintiffs are substantially likely to succeed on the merits of their First Amendment free speech claim, plaintiffs must prove that the federal defendants either exercise coercive power or exercise such significant encouragement that the private party's choice must be deemed to be that of the government. Additionally, plaintiffs must prove the speech suppressed was protected speech. The court, after examining the facts, has determined that some of the defendants either exercised coercive power or provided significant encouragement, which resulted in possible suppression of plaintiff's speech. The state, i.e. government, can be held responsible for a private decision only when it has exercised coercive power or has provided such significant encouragement, either overt or covert, that the choice must be deemed to be that of the state. In evaluating significant encouragement, a state may not induce, encourage, or promote private persons to accomplish what is constitutionally forbidden to accomplish. He goes on, The plaintiffs are likely to succeed on the merits of their claim that the United States government, through the White House and numerous federal agencies, pressured and encouraged social media companies to suppress free speech. Defendants use meetings and communications with social media companies to pressure these companies to take down, reduce, and suppress the free speech of American citizens. They flagged posts and provided information on the type of posts they wanted suppressed. They also followed up with directives to the social media companies to provide them with information as to action the company has taken in regard to the flagged posts. The judge continues, This seemingly unrelenting pressure by defendants had the intended result of suppressing millions of protected free speech postings by American citizens. In response to the defendant's arguments, the court points out this case has much more government involvement than any of the cases cited by defendants, as clearly indicated in, by the extensive facts detailed above. He goes on, If there were ever a case where the significant encouragement theory should apply, this is it. And here's the money quote. What is really telling is that virtually all of the free speech suppressed was conservative free speech. Using the 2016 election and the COVID-19 pandemic, the government apparently engaged in a massive effort to suppress disfavored conservative speech. The targeting of conservative speech indicates that defendants may have engaged in viewpoint discrimination to which strict scrutiny applies. Hell, Democratic members of Congress unapologetically browbeat Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg during congressional hearings, all but telling them to censor conservatives and others with views opposing the approved narrative, or else. The judge goes on. 
As exhaustingly listed above, defendants significantly encourage the social media companies to such extent that the decision should be deemed to be the decisions of the government. The White House defendants and the Surgeon General defendants additionally engaged in coercion of social media companies to such an extent that the decision of the social media companies should be deemed that of the government. It simply makes no difference what decision the social media companies would have made independently of government involvement where the evidence demonstrates the widespread involvement seen here. The judge then walks through in his analysis of the evidence against each defendant weighed against the defense response. Here's just a sample of each section of the judge's ruling. When it comes to the White House, he writes, The plaintiffs allege that by using email, public and private messages, public and private meetings, and other means, White House defendants have significantly encouraged and coerced social media platforms to suppress protected free speech on their platforms. The White House defendants acknowledge at oral arguments that they did not dispute the authenticity of the content of the emails or the content of the emails plaintiffs submitted in support of their claims. White House defendants further argue they never demanded the social media companies to suppress postings or to change policies, and the changes were due to social media companies' own independent decisions. And this is hilarious. The injunction then goes on to document 22 obvious forms of coercion by the White House defendants. The judge then says, quote, These actions are just a few examples of the unrelenting pressure the defendants exerted against social media companies. This court finds the above examples demonstrate that plaintiffs can likely prove that White House defendants engaged in coercion to induce social media companies to suppress free speech. And he ends with this. The White House defendants made it very clear to social media companies what they wanted suppressed and what they wanted amplified. Faced with unrelenting pressure from the most powerful office in the world, the social media companies apparently complied. The court finds that this amounts to coercion or encouragement sufficient to attribute the White House actions to the social media companies such that plaintiffs are likely to succeed on the merits against White House defendants. Well, what about the Surgeon General? Plaintiffs allege that Surgeon General Murthy and his office engaged in a pressure campaign parallel to and often overlapping with the White House defendants' campaign directed at social media platforms. Plaintiffs further allege the Surgeon General defendants engaged in numerous meetings and communications with social media companies to have those companies suppress alleged disinformation and misinformation posted on their platforms. Taking all of this evidence together, this court finds the Surgeon General defendants likely engaged in both coercion and significant encouragement to such an extent that the decisions of private social media companies should be deemed that of the Surgeon General defendants. And finally, the CDC. It's pretty much the same thing. Plaintiffs allege that the CDC defendants have engaged in a censorship campaign together with the White House and other federal agencies to have free speech suppressed on social media platforms. And then he goes on to say, based on the foregoing examples of significant encouragement and coercion of the CDC defendants, this, the court finds that plaintiffs are likely to succeed on the merits. And he goes through the NIAID and the FBI, and basically for the most part, it's the same. He just goes through, like talks about Dr. Fauci, hydroxychloroquine, the Great Barrington Declaration, ivermectin, the, the vaccine. And he basically says it's clear that they coerce the social media companies. As far as the FBI goes, he basically goes through all of their meetings and how they suppressed and basically like with the Twitter files documented that the FBI essentially was the belly button of censorship. Here is the judge's conclusion in its entirety. He starts out with this quote from Harry Truman. Once a government is committed to the principle of silencing the voice of opposition, it has only one place to go, and that is down the path of increasingly repressive measures. 
until it becomes a source of terror to all its citizens and creates a country where everyone lives in fear. And here's his concluding paragraphs. The plaintiffs are likely to succeed on the merits in establishing that the government has used its power to silence the opposition. Opposition to COVID-19 vaccines, opposition to COVID-19 masking and lockdowns, opposition to the lab leak theory of COVID-19, opposition to the validity of the 2020 election, opposition to President Biden's policies, statements that the Hunter Biden laptop story was true, and opposition to policies of the government officials in power. All were suppressed. It is quite telling that each example or category of suppressed speech was conservative in nature. This targeted suppression of conservative ideas is a perfect example of viewpoint discrimination of political speech. American citizens have the right to engage in free debate about the significant issues affecting the country. Although this case is still relatively young, and at this stage the court is only examining it in terms of plaintiff's likelihood of success on the merits, the evidence produced thus far depicts an almost dystopian scenario. During the COVID-19 pandemic, a period perhaps best described by widespread doubt and uncertainty, the United States government seemed to have assumed a role similar to an Orwellian Ministry of Truth. The plaintiffs have presented substantial evidence in support of their claims that they were the victims of a far-reaching and widespread censorship campaign. This court finds that they are likely to succeed on the merits of the First Amendment's free speech claim against the defendants. Therefore, a preliminary injunction should issue immediately against the defendants as set out herein. The plaintiff's motion for preliminary injunction is granted in part and denied in part. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, if you have listened to the various other TruthQuest podcast episodes I referenced throughout, all of which covered government censorship in some form or fashion, nothing in the judge's decision is all that surprising. But I thought it was important to add this episode to the body of work, demonstrating just how out of control the doomsday cult, formerly known as the Democratic Party, and the agencies they run are. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that a Republican administration would not try to pull some of the same shit. In all fairness, a lot of this stuff started under the Trump administration. The difference is, if it were to ever happen, that a Republican administration violated the First Amendment rights of only liberals, the mainstream press, or the alphabet soup conspiracy media as I like to call them, as well as every prominent Democrat, Libertarian, and free-thinking Republicans, and every so-called conservative would scream bloody murder on a daily basis. There's no way a Republican administration would get away with this. Which brings to light again the problem of the uniparty in American politics. The national leadership of the GOP is okay with all the censorship depicted in this lawsuit. Hell, Kevin McCarthy was caught on a hot mic talking to Liz Cheney several years ago talking about how to censor Republican members of the House. And cocaine Mitch McConnell has never seriously condemned any censorship efforts. Stay vigilant, y'all. Call bullshit when you see it. Even if you only have a few hundred friends on Facebook, state your opinion. Be willing to take the few slings and arrows from your brain-dead Kool-Aid-drinking friends and open people's eyes. And that's the truth about government censorship, Missouri v. Biden. Please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and share episodes with your friends. And don't forget to visit the TruthQuest merchandise website at truthquestshirtfactory.com.